Church, I don't know if you remember this or not, but back around 06, 07, there was just a series of infomercials that would come on. And it seemed like every time you had the TV on, there was one of these books being sold. Y'all remember the Get Rich Quick schemes? Y'all remember those? You send in your 1995, and they're going to make you a millionaire within about the first 10 days. Y'all remember all those? The only people getting rich during that time was whom? The folks selling the books. Yeah, that's exactly right. You, know, you had the machine. You walk up and get rich quick scheme, put in your 500, and you end up broke or 500 short. There were the pyramid schemes. Y'all remember those too. You know how the pyramid scheme works, right? The only person that's weighted down is the one at the bottom, the one who is the new recruit, the new member. Only those at the top are carrying all the money. So, so what we're getting at is this. There are sometimes products, but also there's sometimes people in your life that propose something or they are going to represent something, but what they end up representing is not true. What they do not do is deliver on what they've promised. And that may have never happened to you before, but there's been people that have espoused certain things in my journey and they simply did not live up to those certain things. Well, the reason I share that contrast with you is because in Peter's message after the lame man was healed, and, and you guys remember part of that story, and we'll get to it in just a moment. Peter has a chance and have a platform, and in in this platform, he gets to share not only has scripture or prophecy been fulfilled, but there was a blessing that the Jews were waiting on. And Peter's like one of those guys just wanting to shake them, saying, You just missed it. Yeah, there was the blessing. The blessing came. You've been waiting for this blessing for all these years. And, and the blessing not only was there, but you yourself destroyed it. And so Peter was trying to get to this point that. There is sometimes a promise that comes true, but there is no other promise greater than the promise of Jesus and the blessing that he delivered. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of travel back to this moment right after Peter has healed this lame guy. Remember, the lame guy is laying on the steps leading up to the temple, and it's at the Tamid. It's at the 3 p.m. worship hour where the sacrifices are being offered. So there's going to be thousands of Jews there in the midst of all this. When this guy comes walking in who's never walked before, the Jews look at him and say, okay, by whose power did you do this? We've seen this guy. And y'all remember how the Jews viewed Somebody being disabled like this lame man, either his parents sinned before he was born or he sinned somehow in his mother's womb or the future sin he was going to carry out. God was punishing this man. So who are you two guys to forgive this guy? Who are you two guys to take away his punishment? Who are you two guys to make him walk again? And so we want to know by whose power. And so this is what Peter tells them. Hey, you remember that blessing of Abraham and that would have gotten their attention because that's the patriarch of the faith. You remember that guy named Abraham? That blessing that he was promised by God, boom, there's the guy right there. So this was the moment where they tied in this promise of Abraham to this very blessing that the Jews had been waiting for, and this guy being healed was not about the physical miracle. It was about what God had already promised. So that's what we're going to study this morning, starting in verse 11 of Acts chapter 3. So pray with me, and then that's where we'll start reading right after that prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you again just for the chance to celebrate you to worship you. Lord, thank you that I get to be a part uh, of a great team here. Thank you that in Shad's illness and, uh, Father, his faithfulness still to show up and prep and to get ready, that you've also gifted Jenny and Judy to be able to step in and lead us in a chance to worship you through song, and we've worshiped you through prayer. Now, Father, we worship you not simply in the teaching of your word, but in the recognition of the greatest blessing of all time the most prophesied blessing of all time. Father, the Jews owe their entire heritage to the blessing that we're going to read about today. It was the blessing made to Abraham when you had him step outside the tent. And when he looked up, you said, there's all your descendants. And when he looked at the sand, you said, there's all your descendants. 
But there's going to be one of your descendants that's going to bless all the nations. Father, that's the one Peter was pointing to in this message. Hey, this is not about my piousness. This is not about my religiosity. This is not about my power. This dude is walking because of the promise that was made to Abraham, and it's only in that name. Only in that name will you ever be a part of the covenant. So, Father, give us wisdom not to miss this today. Lord, the promise that the Jews to this very day are still waiting to see, we've already seen. The promise that they're holding out for, Peter says, has already been completed and fulfilled. Give us wisdom to see the promise in the face of Christ Jesus. And, Father, that's true wisdom. We will praise you for that gift in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Look at verse 11 with me, if you would. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. So, so I've given you a picture. Uh, this is our best rendition. Remember, we can't really take a picture and give it to you because in 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed 14 acres of temple compound. Literally, one stone not left on the other. Completely destroyed this thing. And yet, when you look at it, where you see all these columns and these pillars, that is known as Solomon's Colonnade. It was a very important point during the temple because during the mid-afternoon, especially when that Palestinian sun was beating down and it's a very arid, desert-like region, it would become very hot in the temple area. Solomon's Colonnade was like a natural air-conditioned spot. Remember, there's no air conditioning. But when you walked into Solomon's Colonnade, not only was it shady, it was open on all ends except for the back wall. But what it created, according to the historian Josephus, was this natural flow of air. And so the people would go there in the afternoon and they would become heated. Remember, when they would stand out in the temple courts, it is out in the temple courts, like you're standing out in the open. So imagine us about August, instead of doing church inside here where the air conditioning is, we meet out on the asphalt parking lot and you stand the whole time. You can imagine, you would get a little heated, you, you would get a little warm. Well, this is what would take place at the temple. And so they would retreat, so to speak, back over to Solomon's colonnade. So, so this lame man has been made to walk again. He's gone inside the temple where he's never seen, been seen before, and now everybody looks and goes, hey, hey whoa, 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 dude, what, what's up with this? And, and so he comes dancing into there, and they don't know what to do. Well, now they've transitioned from the temple, they're back over into Solomon's colonnade. And so they're challenging this. What, what has caused you to walk? Who gave you the authority to walk? Who gave them the authority to give you the authority to walk? And so now Peter shows up and says, oh, by the way, I've got an answer for you. And he's going to get really fired up here in just a minute. And uh, as Peter often did, he is going to insert his foot right into his mouth, but in a good way. So, so listen to what he does. <clears throat> when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us? as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness. All right, so Peter just attacked Judaism, and I know it doesn't sound like it, but he just did. Because the word godliness is eusebia, and it means religious acts or piety. Now, remember how Judaism worked, right? Judaism was a, a, a religion of law, and so we're going to follow law with my physical body, and as long as I follow law and I offer my sacrifices, it doesn't really matter if my heart's changed or not. It doesn't really matter who I am on the inside as long as I keep all the rules on the outside. So, so it was about religiosity. It's about being one of these pious people. So through my actions, I'm going to show you how right God and I are. And so here's what Peter says, knowing he's surrounded by Jews in a Jewish temple, by the way. He's surrounded by Jews in a Jewish temple, even though he's gone there to pray to Yahweh, the Father of Christ Jesus. He, he, he says, wait a minute, what makes y'all think it's my religiosity, it's my religious favor, it's my pious acts that has caused this guy to walk? 
So he's challenging their belief structure. So immediately, keep in mind, they, they would have become tense. This is not like a really relaxed conversation. Peter has just challenged their entire belief structure in one sentence. And so he, he has done this well, and he gets better at it. So just follow with me as he continues. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so who's listening at this point? And I don't mean in here. I mean around him. The minute he says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's just named all three patriarchs, and he said God, meaning Yahweh. All right, so the Yahweh of the three patriarchs. So, so I've got everybody's attention at Solomon's colonnade, and notice what he says. The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus. Oh, me. Doxology. The word is doxazo in Greek, and it means to give praise to. Notice what he just said. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thus the covenant God of all of Israel, just gave praise to Jesus. God just praised Jesus. You do know God would only give praise to whom? God. So what did he just say about Jesus? Jesus is God. Leah Madeline understood it at like five years old, laying in her bed. Daddy, God is God. Yes. Jesus is God. Yes. Okay, Daddy. And she got it. And, and now the Israelites were just told it, even though they don't get it yet. And so you can understand, this is what got Jesus killed, by the way. And so Peter has just virtually repeated exactly what Jesus had done. Whom you handed over. All right, so get this. All right, get this. So, so the most famous people in your entire heritage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I just named them. I named the covenant God of those three men. And notice what he's about to say. Not only is Jesus God, but you killed them. I mean, he's about to accuse them of killing God. Now, now again, imagine how offensive. This, oh, man, Peter's just really sticking his foot down his throat at this point. But again, in a good way. He has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. So get this, the pagan, the pagan Pilate had already agreed to let Jesus go. So the pagan Pilate, he found no fault in Jesus, yet you wouldn't let him go. So, so, so now, now I'm rating you even underneath the pagan Roman Pilate. And so this is how far you've strayed away from your Yahweh. Not only did you deny him, the, the word deny is actually the word that means did not agree, does not agree. And, and so here's why that's important. When you go to Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, remember what confess means? Confess is not listing out your sin, that's confession. Confess is the word to agree. I'm agreeing with Yahweh that Jesus is Lord. Here's what he just said. You disagreed with Yahweh that Jesus was Lord. Yahweh just praised him. You just refused him. In fact, Pilate was above you in his response. Pilate is more of a covenant guy than you. And see, oh, y'all understand this. Gentiles were never viewed as a part of the covenant with Yahweh God. Peter is really smoking himself at this point. I mean, this is heated. They're ready to pick up rocks. There were no stones inside of the temple, or they would have stoned him on the spot. It was clean. It was perfect, so there was nothing there for them to grab. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked to have a murderer released to you. What's he talking about? Y'all remember Barabbas, correct? It was part of that Roman tradition during the Passover. We're going to release one of your prisoners just to try to keep the peace. We want to show you that we're, we're actually hanging most of you on the cross in good faith. We're trying to be good here. And so here's what we're going to do. Passover, we're going to let one of you guys go. 
And, and so what does Pilate do? I can't find fault in this guy, so surely this is the one you're going to choose. And so what does he bring out? He brings out the worst of the worst of the worst, a legit murderer, and, and puts him over next to Jesus and says, okay, which one do you pick? Peter said, okay, we know how you pick. You pick the worst of the worst of the worst, and you actually denied God by faith in his name. All right, so, so he tells them that God raised him from the dead. And it's by faith in his name that he has made this man strong, whom you now see. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Here's the part I don't want you to miss in this. Remember I told you that it was more than a physical healing, that there was a spiritual healing that took place with this guy? That's what Peter is affirming right here. It wasn't me and my religious power that put my hand on him and lifted him up and healed him. It was not that. It was his faith in the name of Jesus that healed him. So this guy not only was healed physically, this man was healed instantaneously spiritually as well. So he's entered into a believing relationship. So this guy's at the temple where they worship Yahweh, but all of a sudden he was given the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit as Peter was touching him. So not only was his physical body healed, his spiritual soul was healed forever. And here's what Peter says, it's only by faith in the name of Jesus that this guy's able to get up and walk. Yeah, the Holy Spirit acted upon Peter and gave him the, the power of healing. The Bible talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12, that there is a spiritual gift of healing. We can't deny what the Scriptures say is true. And so we know that Peter was given that gift, but here's what Peter says. It was not that guy's faith in me, and it wasn't my power that caused him to get up and walk. It was because he believed in the name above all names. And, and if you backtrack just one verse above that, remember what he said? You guys murdered that name. You murdered the source, let, let me read it to you because I don't want you to miss this. This is creationism theology in the book of Acts. Notice this, verse 15, Under, underline this one. You killed the source of life, archegos, archegos, source, initiator, founder. So what did Peter just say? He said, this dude that you handed over to Pilate, that's Genesis 1-1. Without having to say it, he just said it. The source, the initiator, the founder of all life. Where did, where did life start for the Jews? The Jews understand this. The Jews are creationists, in case you don't understand. They, they really are. We, we agree with them in Old Testament principle. They go back to Genesis 1-1, and they said, yes, in the beginning. And, and you do know the word the is not in there in the Hebrew. It's just in beginning God. What, what did God do in beginning? He created. And here's what Peter just said. You just handed over and murdered that dude. Genesis 1-1, that's Jesus. That is one of the strongest statements of creationism theology that you're going to find anywhere in the New Testament. And he said it in six words. An entire doctrine he summed up in one sentence. That's powerful teaching. That's Holy Spirit teaching. Jesus is the creator. Verse 17, skip down with me. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. Boy, let me tell you. Oh, Peter, man, you know, if there's a guy that knew how to get in trouble, here's the dude, right? Okay, so Jesus is God. You killed him. Pilate was more righteous than you are. We've witnessed him being resurrected from the dead. You missed all that, by the way, because he didn't appear to you. And notice this, you're ignorant. I mean, he just keeps going. You know, sometimes you just look at your kids and go, no, you, you know, you'd be really wise to stop right there. I know God sometimes was looking at Peter going, oh, whew. Got to divert that rock, divert that one. Ooh, duck, mm, yeah, duck, you know, whew, man, slow down. Peter, not yet, not yet. Got a little bit more work for you to do. But here's, here's, the, here's the good part of this, and you're like, really, there's a good part in ignorance? Yes, there is, believe it or not. 
Think back to Leviticus for a minute with me. We, we, we spent about a year and a half there. Think back to Leviticus. You remember in the offerings, you could bring your offering for unintentional sin when you were, you were sinning and you weren't really aware that you were sinning. There was an atonement for that. Now, remember, it was completely different from intentional sin. And so here's what he's actually saying. He's, he's saying this. It's a good thing you were acting in ignorance because that means there's still a chance for you. It's, it's a good thing that you really weren't aware of what you were doing because that would hold you to a different level of accountability. What's the New Testament tell us? To those who have been given much, what is required? Much is required. Okay, so, so at this point, you didn't quite understand. So atonement is still available. So it sounds really bad to me and you. It sounds like he's calling them, you know, I grew up in Mississippi, so it's ignorant. And so, you know, it sounds like he's calling them ignorant here. And that's not what he's calling them. He, he's saying there's still hope for you. Hang, hang on, don't, don't throw yourself off the cliff yet. There's still hope for you. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets. Remember the word fulfilled actually means complete or perfect. So, so God's word must be completed because God is perfect in his nature. So through Jesus being handed over in their act of ignorance, that is God perfecting his word, meaning God completed it. So this had to happen. There's nothing they could have done to have stopped it. This was going to happen. But notice this. Therefore, here's something you're supposed to do. So because Jesus had to suffer, there's something there to do in response to his suffering in verse 19. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Okay, so here's the deal. You acted in ignorance, which means there's still atonement for you. But to receive that atonement, here's two things you need to do. You need to repent. Remember, metaneo? It means to change your mind. It's not a feeling. It's not something you feel. Repentance is not a feeling. Repentance is a thoughtful, logical, I'm going to change my direction by changing my mind. I know this is not the path I should stay on, so I'm going to choose this path. That's repentance. Repentance is a logical, tangible, intellectual thought process. You, you see a path that you're on, you know this is an incorrect path, and then you choose intentionally not to stay on that path. And, and notice something else. He adds a word that John the Baptist didn't include and Jesus didn't include, but this is inspired of the Holy Spirit speaking specifically to Jews. Notice what he says. Therefore, repent and turn back. Well, that's kind of it. The repentance covers the turning back, but, but the word turn back is epistrepho. And epistrepho means change your beliefs. And so literally, here's what Peter is saying. He's calling them out of Judaism. Remember, that's the old covenant family. That was the only way to know Yahweh. You had to be a practicing Jew. You had to be taking part in Judaism to receive the blessing of the old covenant. And here Peter says, you need to change your direction by changing your mind, and you need to change your belief structure. You're going to have to change your entire religion. Now, again, here we go. Foot down the throat at this point. It's past mouth. It is down in the esophagus. Because he just called them out of Judaism. He just said, that's not it. This is not the covenant faith anymore. This is not the covenant religion. He just called them out of their entire practice. And if you don't do this, notice this. If you change your direction by changing your mind, and you have now changed your religious beliefs, then you can have atonement then you can have atonement. So, so let me ask you this. From the onset of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus forward, the only way then to reach Yahweh is how? Through Christ. You can't reach Yahweh even by practicing Judaism. 
Because Peter says, not only change your direction by changing your mind, he says, you've got to change your entire belief structure. Then your sins can be wiped out. Then your sin can be wiped out. So no religion will get you to Yahweh other than belief and faith in Christ Jesus according to what has been taught here. But notice the result of this. This is verse 20. And if you're going to circle a highlight, underline in your Bible, this is the verse I want you to get. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Um, oh man, seasons of refreshing. That, that word refreshing is the Greek word that means able to breathe. Able to breathe. I've related it this way in the first service, and I think most of you can relate. Y'all listen, I am a fan of food. Food is my friend, and it is my favorite hobby. I, I, I just, I like it. I like it a lot. Sometimes way too much, but I like it. I am so thankful the Lord created food with taste and gave me taste buds to experience it. I mean, it's just, you know, just imagine if it all tasted like cardboard. It just, life would just be so, so useful. I mean, I like cheeseburgers. They're awesome. And, and so, so, Think about this. I like food to the point that sometimes I have eaten so much of it that then when I sit down in the chair, I have to figure out a way to recline it just so I can breathe. I know y'all probably never experienced that, right? I've had to, at times, move my belt one notch. And I know this is bad, y'all. I'm with y'all. I, no, y'all probably aren't. Y'all probably have never done that. But I, and, and here's the part that's nice. You know, when you finally get stretched out, and even though you're about to blow up, you can actually get a deep breath in. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, golly, I'll never eat that much again until about six hours from then, you know. So, so that's this word. That's this word. This is the word that means you, you feel all pressed in. You, you feel pressure. You feel weight. You feel darkness. You feel like the belt spiritually is too tight. But, but somehow, because of Jesus, you're able to go, No kidding. Do this with me. Come on. Here we go. Deep breath. You do know that's how we're supposed to feel 24-7. I'm not making this up. Peter said, when you receive the atonement, sacrifice of Jesus, and then God sends him to you in the Holy Spirit as your Messiah, he says it is breaths of refreshing. <sighs> all that pressure, all that weight, when you focus on the person of Jesus is gone. All that's gone. And this is what Peter's trying to get the Jews to understand. The Jews wouldn't have gotten it. Dude, all they could see was this temple that Herod, who they didn't believe was a Yahweh lover, had built. They see 14 acres of marble. All that's marble. This beautiful, beautiful thing. And they hated it. Because they didn't believe Herod loved Yahweh at all. The Romans were, were controlling everything. The soldiers were abusive. They would make people carry their packs, and they would sometimes take their wives. I mean, it was a brutal time for the Jews. And so they're trudging around, and it's day after day of, I see nothing, I see no hope. Where is Messiah? And Peter says, you killed him. He is the promised blessing of Abraham. And when you will believe in him, and you'll believe in the power of his name, all of a sudden you can breathe again. It doesn't matter that the Romans are here. It doesn't matter that this is not Solomon's temple, but it's Herod's temple. Yahweh hasn't changed. But you can only access him through Jesus. You can only have him 
through Christ Jesus. Heaven must receive Him, Jesus, until the time of the restoration of all things which God spoke about through His holy prophets from the beginning. Please hear me. He's, he's talking about, here's where you need to be focused. He has to be in heaven. You're wanting him to come ride down Main Street in Jerusalem. And you want him to be on a white horse. And you want him to have a sword. And you want him to slay the Romans and clean them out of here. And you want him to sit on the throne of David. And you want this to be Old Testament Israel. He says it's not like that now. He has to stay in heaven until he restores everything. The Bible says even the earth cries out to God to be restored. And here's what the Bible says in Revelation. It's going to have its wish granted. That the earth will be destroyed, not in a bad way, to be replaced with something brand new and pristine and free from sin. And he says that's what you should be hoping for. You can't be so caught up in your circumstances that you can't breathe and you feel weighted in and crushed and stressed. You've got to realize that Jesus is doing something great. But you only get to experience the great through Him. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything He tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from His people. I want you to look at this next slide real quick, Jeff. Let me see this next one. On this bottom right, this bottom right-hand side, God through the years has raised up Abraham and he's raised up Moses. And these men have given us prophecies about this blessing and this blessing of Abraham is the very Messiah of Jesus. And here's what Peter says. If you do not accept this Jesus, if you do not receive him as Messiah, then you are cut off. And that really doesn't grasp the meaning of that. Here's the reason he used the term cut off. Because for the Jews... Cut off meant you were forever removed as a Jew. You couldn't get back in. There was no redemption policy. If you were cut off, you were cut off and removed outside the camp. And it didn't simply mean where the tents were. It meant you were removed outside the Old Testament coverage of Yahweh. And here's what Peter is saying. He's using this language to help them understand. Just like as the Jews, if you cut somebody off, there's no redemption plan. There's no getting back. There's no restoration. He says, if you reject Jesus, it is eternal in your damnation. It's eternal destruction. And this is what we call the doctrine of hell. And I don't want you to miss this because this doctrine has been challenged even in Southern Baptist circles. It has been espoused by certain Southern Baptist teachers that God is an annihilationist. And here's what I mean by that, that when he condemns people to hell, hell is real, but because God is so gracious, they won't suffer eternally. They just cease to exist when they go there. Okay, I hear what you're saying, but that's us trying to make God the God we want him to be. But the only God that exists is the God that this says who he is. And here's what this says. The Jews never understood cut off as meaning you cease to exist. What did the Jews understand cut off to mean? You are eternally banned from the covenant. You are eternally removed from the presence of of God. You don't cease to exist. You live forever in whatever remains of your life in punishment. And so here's what Peter is saying for those who don't accept the prophets of the Old Testament who say that the promise of Abraham was this blessing of Jesus. He says, not only do you not have access to Yahweh, not only can you breathe, not only will you not have peace, 
or joy, he says, you will be eternally cut off. Eternally removed. No access. And we read through the New Testament, you know, Jesus himself said, this place here, this eternal destructive place, this is Jesus in his words, the worm dies not. The flames never go out. The torment never ends. And so what I want you to grasp is that's why we should be so motivated in making sure if we don't share anything else with anybody else in the world, we need to make sure we say something about Jesus. What do we do? We do things like back-to-school bash. We bring people in here. But please hear me. Back-to-school bash is not about school supplies. It's not about a backpack. It's not about a jeans voucher. It's not about a free haircut. What is back-to-school bash about? A church-loving people because Jesus loved them first. And if we don't make sure they understand that, then we are doing a disservice. They think we're nothing more than a social ministry. Y'all, we're a gospel ministry first, and social work comes out of that. Why? Because the people who don't fall under the protection of Jesus fall there. And it should not be our desire that anybody goes there. Why? Because the Bible says it's not God's desire that one should perish. Not one. Zero. And he's given the keys to heaven and hell. It says to us, to the church, I've given the keys to heaven and hell. Who you tell about me gives them a key. Those who you refuse to tell about me, you gave them another key. You gave them the wrong key. We've got to keep telling because, believe it or not, even in modern-day circles, conversions are still happening. Let me share with you just one story. This guy's name is Nathaniel Kaplan. Nathaniel Kaplan is a converted Jew. He was raised Jewish his entire life. He said, I spent my days in synagogue and in Sabbath school, and my dad repeatedly, growing up in the United States, my dad repeatedly attacking the very nature of Jesus Christ. His dad referred to Jesus as a pagan. Here was a pagan who rose up under Roman rule and he was trying to lead people into believing he was God and he led hundreds astray. And he was put to death rightfully on a cross. And yet, Nathaniel Kaplan will tell you this. He said, for some reason though, every time I was not in the view of my parents, he said, I was constantly looking for every piece of Christian literature I could find. He said, I didn't understand at that point as a kid that that was the Holy Spirit acting upon me, trying to introduce himself to me in the light of me getting the wrong teaching. He said, but all I knew was this. I was curious. He said, I even wanted to watch Christmas shows on TV just because they had the word Christ in it. He said, but I just wanted to know everything I could. He said, but I was excluded from that. I wasn't allowed. He said, in fact, one time I I took the Bible, and he said, I was looking at Old Testament prophecy of Abraham and Moses, and he said, I pointed this out to my dad. Dad, but Old Testament prophecy, especially in Isaiah 52 and 53, where it talks about this suffering servant, that sounds just like this man Jesus. I mean, Dad, can't you see it? It looks like the Old Testament prophecies are pointing to this man, Jesus. And here's what his dad told him. Son, you need to put that down. You know, like when a little kid picks up a sharp object and goes, hey, no, 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 put that down. His his dad told him this. His dad said, son, put that down. I want you to read the Talmud instead. In case you don't know what the Talmud is, that is commentary written by Jewish people explaining the Old Testament Scriptures. So it's not the Scriptures themselves, it's Jewish commentary explaining the Scriptures. And in the Talmud, Jesus himself is mentioned as being a false prophet. And so his dad said, no, you need to put the Bible down, son, and start reading this book. You do know that's where we mess up. 
Because there will be people come knock on your door, and, and I will not name any, any particular branch. But there will be people come knock on your door, and they're going to claim to be Christian just like you. But at some point, they're going to want you to put your book down and read their own commentaries about the book. Because they've added them. They don't just exist on the authority of Scripture. They have added to the Scriptures their own commentary, their own writings. And what they tell you is, is for you to understand the Scriptures properly, you have to understand them through their writings. They will come knock on your doors, especially on Saturday. And so they'll claim to be like you, but they're not like you and me. Because just like Peter, here's what we say. This book from start to finish has introduced us to one person, and his name is Jesus. From start to finish. Genesis 1.1. In beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. From start to finish. How does Revelation end? That same Jesus comes back, and this time he does come back on the white horse. And he will be victorious, as he already is. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, that little slide that I showed you that had eternal destruction, that comes with him. That comes with him. And so our job is to, to make sure of this, which is our challenge. Make sure that you have accepted the blessing. Now, now, I'm talking about beyond salvation. I'm talking about salvation included. There may be people here this morning who would say to me, Justin, I, I don't know that I've ever accepted this blessing of Abraham. I don't know if I've ever even heard it taught that way. I don't know that I really understand it. But here's the thing. For some reason, I, I'm, I'm getting you. I'm, I'm feeling this Jesus thing. Can you explain this further to me? Yes, the answer is yes. But there are a lot of people in this room, just like me, who've accepted this blessing thing, this Jesus thing, this Abraham thing, and you've known it for years, but for some reason, you need to loosen up your belt some. Because what's happened is, is real world life stuff is happening. There's diagnosis and prognosis and there's family difficulty and there's financial difficulty and there's stressors and there's more stress and there's more stress and then there's no rest on top of the stress and now we're really stressed. And, and I don't know about you, but there's times you feel like you just can't breathe. That it's that heavy. Just can't get that breath in for some reason. But here's what Peter said. Peter says, if you buy into Jesus and you're focused on him and not all this, and you're focused on the, the joy and the peace and the freedom that he brings, <sighs> yeah, it's still hard, but I can breathe. But I can breathe. See, that's what accepting the blessings about. It's not just about salvation. It's not just about dodging hell. It's not just about heaven. As great as heaven is going to be, it's about right now. The blessing is now. It's not just future. It's now. And the blessing is peace. And it's joy. And it's comfort. And it's victory. So let's look at some things we need to consider. Number one, you need to acknowledge the real source of power. Here's the deal. Listen, I, I am a very pro-government kind of person. I think it's just my personality. I'm kind of a rules guy. And if government's the authority, man, I, I'm under government. So, so like when I'm teaching my law enforcement students at C of O, I'm pro-government kind of guy. That, that's just me. But let me tell you this. Politics will never change the world. 
the United States government at some point, please hear me, I am not a fatalist. I'm not a person that always sees the end of stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a warrior kind of guy, so I see winning a whole lot in my head. We win. But I'll tell you, the United States government at some point will cease to exist. That, that's not, don't write that. That's not a prophecy. Please hear me. I'm not a prophet. But I will tell you this. It will cease to exist based on the very words of Jesus. He said the only thing that will remain is what? My word. So the United States government, as powerful as it is, as world-influencing as it is, will at some point, just like the Romans, greatest civilization probably of all time, at some point it will cease to exist. Why? Because it's not God. The government's not God. Money is not God. Convenience is not God. The only real power is Jesus. And so when I tell you to acknowledge, what I'm saying is this, not only acknowledge it intellectually, but buy into it, meaning your life will reflect it. There's got to be a change. Number two, don't murder the source of life. You're like, well, Justin, that's impossible. Why would you even say that? That took place, according to Peter, in the Jewish time when when Jesus was on the earth and Pilate was here. Yes, but you know what murder really means? It means render irrelevant. Murder means render irrelevant. You can render Jesus irrelevant in your life by not following what he teaches. You can claim to be a Christ follower, but not apply the truth. That means you have virtually murdered him. You have rendered him irrelevant in your life. There are a lot of people who profess to be Christian, yet Monday through Saturday, they don't look, well, even Sunday now, because they don't come either. And so, here's the deal. They don't look any different than somebody who would claim not to be a Christ follower. They don't talk any differently. They don't think any differently. They don't act any differently. Their life is no different at all. And so that's the same as murdering the source of life. It's rendering irrelevant this source of life by replacing it with something else. And here's the problem with that. He said, you will have no other gods but me. None, zero, including yourself. Number three, reject ignorance and repent. Boy, here with that word again. Reject ignorance. Here's why I tell you to reject it. Because those of you who are like me who've been brought up your whole life in church, you do know there's no way I could stand before God as acting in ignorance. That doesn't mean I don't do ignorant things. Please, I'm not defending all my actions. What I'm saying is this. I could never plead ignorance with God. I've been in church my whole life. I got more Bible translations than we could read in a year. For those who have been given much, what is required? Reject ignorance because you're not. Every time you show up in worship services like this, every time you sit in your prayer closet and you open up this book, you're educated. And he will hold you to that account. So the only thing we can do then is reject the fact that we're not ignorant and we repent. We change our ways by changing our mind. Because once we do this, here's the result. Please hear me. And y'all know this. Those of you who have been a Christ follower for some length of time, you find yourself in a sinful pattern. And it may be lust. It may be worry. Uh, man, it, it may be anxiousness. It, it may be greed. It may be discontentment. You know, there's just a whole list of, of sins. And, and you find yourself on that sinful path, and you've let yourself kind of slip back in it. And then you crawl back into your prayer closet, and you plead from your gut to the Lord to help you. And you get back in the Word, and you're making a choice, and you've repented. You've changed your path and direction. And then all of a sudden, it's fresh again. You don't have to raise your hand, but listen. Answer this question in your mind for me. How many of you have ever experienced that? 
And then you crawled back in that closet and you got on your face and got real with God. He got real with you and helped you change your direction. All of a sudden, it was fresh. Man, don't you, don't you long for that like every day? I mean, don't you long because that's not every day for me because you know what happens in my life every day? Real life happens. I get a daughter in Greece and she starts texting from like midnight all the way to 4 a.m. when daddy's asleep. And then my other daughter ends up in the same bed with me and her mom. And so I'm sleeping on six inches of bed. I know nobody can relate to that. I get it. And I have to get up and do like three jobs. And, and so I get kind of focused on all that stuff. And hear, hear me, none of that's bad. It's all good. But good should never take the place of great. Right? And so it's all about focus. If I want to enjoy the refreshing I need to wake up and enjoy the refreshing. Then number five, and here's where we close. Eagerly desire the restoration. L- let me tell you one more time how this whole thing ends. Revelation, 22 chapters. Two-word summary of Revelation. We win. You know why? Because Jesus comes back. I'm going to be honest with you. One of my heroes of the faith, as far as a preacher is concerned, is Adrian Rogers. And here's one thing I can tell you. I heard Dr. Rogers preach in his messages consistently. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. I am absolutely convinced he was dead serious. Because I believe his focus was on what God was going to bring when he returns as opposed to what he was dealing with right then. Sometimes, I confess to you, I can get so focused on trying to do a good job here. I'm a list guy. I like to check off the list, man. I can get so focused on trying to do a good job here that I forget that this is not what it's about, though. That what takes place here is this long. And when Jesus comes back, it's that long. Why is it, why is it we can so anticipate Christmas And yet I can go through a 24-hour period and not think once about Jesus coming back. Why is it we can so anticipate Christmas when he's already come? Keep in mind, here's where I'm going with this. We can so anticipate Christmas when we celebrate the fact that he's already come. And yet I might go through several days and not think about him coming again. If I really love him, and really miss him, don't you think it might cross my mind I'm ready for him to come back? Let's live like we're waiting for him to come back. Let's live like we're waiting for him to come back eagerly because I think it's going to change our attitude. I think it's going to help the refreshing and help us stay focused on what's truly important and what's not.